Well, here we go. Let's dive in today. Um, I'm excited about uh, this season. It's one of my favorites. Uh, we talk about Christmas. We, we have to talk about gifts and giving and receiving. How many like to receive gifts? Anybody like to give uh, gifts? Yeah, we, we like a little bit of all of it. And it reminds me of the story of a man named Tom. Uh, he was headed back home from a business trip. It's a week before Christmas. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to give my wife a little gift before I get home. So he decides, I'm going to get her some perfume. So he goes to the counter of the cosmetics department and asks the clerk uh, if he could see a bottle of perfume. So she goes to the back, gets a bottle of perfume, and says it'll be $50. He says, whoa, that's a little bit much. You got anything else? She said, oh, absolutely. She goes to the back, gets another, another bottle of perfume. It's $30. He said, well... That's a little bit much. Wasn't planning to spend that. She said, okay. And so she goes to the back and brings forward a $15 bottle of perfume. And Tom is frustrated. He's like, <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I want to see something cheap. Well, the counter, the, the clerk is frustrated as well. She, she reaches across the counter and hands him a mirror. <laughs> Aren't you glad we serve a God who is not cheap? Aren't you glad that at Christmas, our God gave the best gift he could ever give, which was his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth? I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that our God would give his best to seek and save the lost and that he is not cheap, but he is generous and he loves us so much that he would give Jesus. And that's one of the things I love about the Christmas story. That it's so full of the heart of God and his response to humanity, his response to our condition of being separated from him. And we find the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. I want to turn there this morning as we start. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. If you're taking notes, um, I want to encourage you to do so. Uh, you could do it on the app. You could do it through the message notes. Um, but today, I want you to write down some things that I believe God's going to speak to your heart. Verse 26, this is the story we've all heard before. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored of the Lord. Now, this is the account where the angel greets Mary, and um, it's the account of Jesus in Bethlehem and Nazareth. It's all the things that we've heard, but I want to go back even before this story. Many times as I have preached, uh, it's fascinating because Christmas and Easter, there's never a surprise as to what I'm going to preach on. You know, it's like, okay, how do we say it in a different way? How do we get it across in a deeper meaning? And as I was studying this message and the Christmas story, I was drawn to a few sentences or a sentence that I really hadn't focused on in the past, but it sparked my interest. And it's verse 26, the same passage, but it starts this way. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's how the Christmas story actually starts. Then God sends an angel to Gabriel Nazareth in the town of Galilee. And I, I was fascinated because I've never seen that before as I prepared for the Christmas message. Now, of course, I know the story. 
If you are familiar with it or been around Christianity at all, this is uh, where Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist is the one that would be out in the wilderness uh, declaring the goodness of God, preparing the way for Jesus. And so there's actually a miracle preceding the miracle. Isn't that fascinating how God is going to tell the story of Jesus? And as he does, if we're not careful, we'll miss something that I believe God wants us to get today. And so we could skip right over it. And I want to highlight this morning the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And I'm going to go through even uh, passages or verses before the one we just read. I'm going to go into verse 7 of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 7. We're going to see this person, Elizabeth, the one that the Bible talks about. She's pregnant and she's with child. And I want us to learn a few things about her and then take some ideas, some things that we can learn so that I believe today God's going to touch us in a powerful way. In verse 7 it says, they were childless because of Elizabeth not being able to conceive. This is her and her husband, Zechariah. He is the other figure that is in this passage. They both love God with all of their heart. Zechariah is actually a priest who serves in the temple. Elizabeth comes from the lineage of Aaron, so it's the lineage of priests. And they serve God their entire life. But yet, here we see that they are childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now, what happened, right? I mean, we read a passage just a second ago where Elizabeth is pregnant. So we're going to see with the curiosity of what, what's happened. What, what, how, how did this take place and what has taken place? In verse 8, it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Then when the time for burning incense came, all assembled worshipers were praying outside. So he's in the temple. He's serving. And then look at what happens in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, which is so fascinating that God found him while he was serving. God found him in the temple when he was faithful with the duties that God had given to him to do. Now, I know that could sound, well, of course he would be. But imagine this, that we just read he was childless. That's because his wife was barren. And back in those days, when someone was childless, it was believed that they were childless because they had sinned or committed sin or they did not have the blessing of God. So you have a man that is faithful in his service to God. When others said there is something wrong with him, God doesn't favor him. He must be living a life of sin. How many of you have ever been accused how many of you have ever been faithful in what God is saying and the accuser of the brethren comes in to say why you're not blessed? I want us to be real careful that we don't agree with the words of the enemy. That trials and difficulties do not mean that it's because we've been disobedient. There are moments in our life where trials and difficulties happen because there is a divine purpose that God has set us up for his will. And so we have to respond to disappointment in a way that says, God, I trust you, not I'm mad at you. And so we see Zachariah and Elizabeth, what are they doing? They're faithful, even in the midst of disappointment. 
And so the angel of the Lord appears to him standing, verse 11, on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Look at what he says. Your prayer has been heard. So what prayer? They've been praying for a baby. They've been serving God faithfully with this prayer of God, help our lives to be fruitful, help our lives multiply and be wrapped up in the blessing of God. And I want you to know, some of you, your life feels like God is nowhere to be found, that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't care for you. And I want you to know, God hears your prayer. So he heard their prayer. And it's amazing that as he heard their prayer, look at what he says. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. John. We know he's the one that would become John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus. And I think that's an interesting point as well, that your miracle will always point the way back to Jesus. That as we pray for God to do the miraculous, yes, he loves you. Yes, he wants to bless you. But ultimately, I want us just to recognize and remember that we are a part of God's story. We're not the center of the story. We're not the main figure in the story. We get to play God's part that he wants us to play in the story that he is writing for humanity. And in a culture, we've got to be careful because this narrative will be like, I'm the center. It was all about me. Yes, it's about you, but it's really all about him. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife Elizabeth uh, became pregnant, or after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I'm going to skip down to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to give birth to her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had shown great mercy on her. And they all shared her joy. You know, the thing I love about Christmas is it reminds us that miracles still happen. That we serve a God who answers prayers. A God who speaks up in our life when it feels that he's absent. When it feels like he's forsaken us. I want you to know God hasn't left you. God hasn't forsaken you. God performs miracles. And I'm asking us to get our hopes up for 2023. I believe God is preparing us for some of the greatest miracles we've ever experienced in our life individually and corporately. And I want to give you a few thoughts from this story that I believe will prepare us. Number one, I want to encourage you to pray big, bold prayers. I want you to write that down. If you haven't written it down, write it down. Pray big, bold prayers. See, I I know this, that God is honored with big prayers. God loves it when we ask him for the miraculous. And I have found the older I get, the less of God's miracle working power I ask for. I found myself getting older in life and learning things of what we would call maturity. 
I wonder if it's really God's maturity or the world's apathy that we have called ourselves to compromise the greatness of God because we've experienced a little bit of disappointment. And then we say, I just want to be a realist. I don't know about you, but my God is greater than any reality that I can experience. He does the miracle working power that only God can do, and we limit him in our life. And I want you to say, God, I'm going to pray big, bold prayers. God, I'm going to give my hopes. Could you imagine the God of heaven wanting to break out in our life and display his glory? See, if you remember, miracles are not even really about you. They're about him. They're to point our way in our life back to him so that he gets the glory. Can you imagine a small, pitiful, pathetic prayer honoring God? I'll just pray a safe prayer. Just say something that's not going to mess anything. No, 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 no. Why? He's ready to break out into humanity. He's ready to do the miraculous, to do what's impossible. But he requires us to say, God, we're asking for the seed of greatness that you placed inside of us. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 13. God has heard your prayer. This is what he's saying to Zechariah. I'm concerned God's not performing miracles in people's lives because they stopped praying for him. When's the last time you prayed a big prayer to God? When's the last time you stretched your faith? And it's like, but he'll do it if he wants to. No, no, he wants to come in agreement with someone who will believe that he still wants to do the impossible. And I love Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And I know sometimes through our natural self, we can say, well, I prayed once and it's done. I don't think it's one and done. I think there are some prayers in your life that I'm going to pray today. I'm going to pray tomorrow. I'm going to pray next week. I'm going to pray next month. In fact, Matthew 7, 7 talks about it. Keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. There are miracles that God wants to do in our life that we must be diligent in our prayers and continue to invade heaven, asking God to do what only God can do. And Mark eleven twenty four 24 is one of my favorite passages. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, I also want to give a little bit of a caveat, like, how I many you know you can't just ask God for any old thing? The, the, the word of God is very clear that our motives need to be right. And when we're asking for the miraculous, it needs to line up according to God's will. And so when we have our motives are right and it's the will of God, now we're in agreement with God and then God begins to move on our behalf. And I also want to say this, you can't manipulate God. Like, you, you don't get to just come in and say, I'll do this if you'll do that. No, no, there's no manipulation. God's not going to be manipulated by our prayers. It reminds me of a little story of little Johnny. Now, I know if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard me say all this story. It's one of my favorite stories, and there are a lot of people that hadn't heard it, so you're going to get to listen to it again. It's the story of little Johnny. Christmas is quickly approaching. Little Johnny went to his mother and begins to demand a bicycle. His mother decided, look, he, he should take a look at himself. You shouldn't act like this. You shouldn't think like this. So she devised a plan. She told Johnny, listen, we don't have any money for Christmas. So if you want that bicycle, you're going to have to pray and ask Jesus for one instead. She's wanting him to reflect on the condition 
of his heart. Well, little Johnny, he's mad. He throws a temper tantrum and goes up into his room. But after he calmed down, finally he decided, fine, I'll write Jesus a letter. So he's going to write Jesus a letter, and this is what his letter said. Dear Jesus, I've been a good boy this year and would appreciate a new bicycle. Your friend, little Johnny. Now, little Johnny knew that Jesus really knew what kind of a boy he was. He's a brat. So he rips up the letter and he decides, I'm going to try to write another one. This is what that letter said. Dear Jesus, I've been an okay boy this year and I want a new bicycle. Yours truly, little Johnny. Well, little Johnny dug deep and realized that's not true either. So he tears up that letter and he begins to write. Here's his third letter. Dear Jesus, I thought about being a good boy this year. Can I have a new bicycle, please? Signed, Little Johnny. Now, Little Johnny, he looks up and down and begins to examine his heart, and he's frustrated, and really, he, he understands this ain't going to work. He crumbles up the paper, throws it up in the trash. He goes out the house, begins to wander down the street. All of a sudden, Little Johnny ends up right in front of a Catholic church. He thinks, I'll go inside the church, goes up to the altar, begins to kneel down, and starts thinking about a plan. He's looking to the right, looking to the left. He, he comes up with this plan. He says, I'm going to get up. He starts to walk out. And as he's walking out, there are some statues right beside him. He decides, I know what I'm going to do. He grabs one of the little statues, goes back to his house, gets up in his bedroom, puts the statue underneath the bed, and decides, I'm going to write Jesus another letter. Here's what his letter said. Jesus, I'm not a very good boy. I shoot spit wads in school. I tease my little sister. I don't like to listen to my parents. However, I am desperate, and I've got your mama. If you ever want to see her again, you better give me a bike. Signs, you know who. <laughs> How many know you're not going to manipulate God? God answers big, bold prayers. Here's the second thing. Answered prayers require patience. Just required patience. That we believe God for big things. We pray to God for big things. But the reality is there's a point in our life where we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We've got to believe God's promises even though we don't see the fruition of the promise that we're believing God for. And here's the challenge when we're praying prayers to God. Many times we pray these prayers and it just doesn't look like God is moving at all. In fact, sometimes it seems like God's doing the opposite. Here's what we've got to know is that we are to continue praying and to have patience and endurance that God is going to do what he is faithful to do. Luke chapter 18, 1, Jesus is telling his disciples. He gives this principle as he's talking about a persistent widow. Look what he says. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them how they should always pray and never give up. Never give up. We're not going to stop. We're going to pray big, bold prayers, and we're going to keep praying big, bold prayers, and we're going to have the patience that in God's timing, God's going to fulfill the promise that he put inside of us. And here's what I know. I know sometimes you're like, yeah, but, but what happens if we die and we don't see the promise? No, baby, we win either way. Either I get to see it on earth or when I cross through into eternity and get to spend eternity with Jesus, I still get the promise promise. So it's a win-win in our life. Why? Because I'm a believer and I get to spend eternity with him. Got to be patient. I want to encourage you with this. God is working behind the scenes of your life. I know it doesn't feel like it. 
I know it doesn't. Can you imagine Elizabeth and Zechariah? It says they were old. Now, I don't know what old is, but in, old is old. So it's like at whatever level, the Bible says they were old. And when they least expected it, God found them faithful serving in the temple. There was a patient determination, a patient consistency, a patient, yes, I'm going to. I'm not going to be dissuaded because I didn't get what I wanted from God when I thought I should get it. And the coolest part about it was their patience brought the greatest miracle ever. John would prepare the way for Jesus. But it was in God's timing. It reminds me of the Chinese bamboo tree. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a remarkable tree. It's found in the Far East. Uh, It doesn't grow like other trees grow. You know, most trees grow steady and consistent over a period of years. This one doesn't. For the first four years of a Chinese bamboo tree's life, you don't see anything. It's as if nothing is happening on the outside. And then all of a sudden in the fifth year, within just a matter of weeks, that Chinese bamboo tree will grow, check it out, 90 feet tall. 90 feet. That when it doesn't look like anything's happening, it's building a support system. The roots are going deep. They're able to secure themselves so that as they get tall, they're not going to be pushed over by the wind, by the environment. Some of you think God's not moving and he's not on the outside, but he's doing something on the inside. He's building a support system so that when you get your miracle, that nothing on the outside takes away or robs what God has given to you. God is working behind the scenes, even if you can't see it. Here's the third thing. Devotion is tested by disappointment. You know, when you look at their life, there's a lot of disappointment that can be felt. In fact, we read previously where she talked about the disgraces taken away. I don't know if you've ever experienced disappointment But when you begin to talk about the love of God, the promises of God, the things of God, and it doesn't turn out the way you thought it would, the way others thought it would, there is something that happens on the inside that is tested because then people are going to see, did you serve God for what he would give you or do you serve God because you love him? It's fascinating how we have our motives tested when disappointment comes into our life. And look at what is said of them in verse 6. Both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Think about that. Disappointed, yet serving wholehearted. Disappointed, but faithful in their duties. Disappointed, but they would not allow disappointment to drive them away from God. Instead, they allowed it to fuel their passion for God. That disappointment is what tested the motives of their heart. And I'm challenged in my own life that when I face disappointment, what is my response? How do I respond in a moment where God doesn't show up the way I thought he would show up? I don't know about you, but in my life, I've had to face these moments where it's like, God, I, I, I thought this was you. God, and, and I don't know about you, but there is a weight to disappointment. How, how many of you walked in today feeling crushed by the weight of disappointment? You know, I think about Christmas, and I love Christmas, and a lot of people are real joyful in Christmas. I'm one of those. But I've recognized over the years there are people that will come and experience Christmas not through the lens of joy, but under the weight 
of disappointment. That it's crushing. It's almost too much to bear. Instead of being better, you become bitter. And look at what A.W. Tozer said. It's such a great quote as only he could say. It's not the load that breaks you down. It's the way you carry it. What do we do when we're disappointed? How do we respond? Here's what's so fascinating. We hear and see it all through the scripture, but look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. How do we respond? Cast your care on him for what he cares for you. See, you were never intended to carry the weight of disappointment. We were never intended to have that weigh us down, yet we have some unmet expectations. We have some things that didn't happen the way we thought they should, but if we will allow the weight of that disappointment to be cast onto God and say, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. God, it doesn't make sense, but I believe in you. God, I'm not sure if I'll ever understand, but you're a good God. I love you. If you never do another thing for me, God, I love you. I will serve you. I give my life to you and everything I have is yours when you begin to live like that now you're in position for a miracle and I love that about our dream team and I'm going to speak to our dream team I love you I am so proud of each and every one of you that serve week in come on tell our dream team how much you love it serve week in and week out and I want to encourage you, some of you are feeling the weight. And, and the reason I highlight them is, look, Zachariah was found faithful serving in the temple. You find yourself faithfully serving in the parking lot, faithfully serving in the children's ministry, faithfully serving as you lead a small group, and yet you feel this disappointment. Here's what I want you to know. God sees you. God cares for you. God loves you, that he is here for you. And as you continue to serve in the middle of your disappointment, you are setting yourself up for the miracle that God wants to do in your life. Don't quit. Don't quit. Here's the last thing. Last thing. God's miracles require preparation. Look at what it says in verse 24. I found this so fascinating. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Now, it wasn't unusual back then when a woman became pregnant for the second and third trimester to go off into seclusion. As they began to show, they would isolate themselves. That wasn't unusual. What's unusual here is that Elizabeth actually goes into seclusion before the accepted time. And I find that fascinating. Think about this, and here's the challenge. As we read scripture, I can't tell you for sure. I don't have all the answers, but I do love to ask questions. And here's my question. Why would she do it? Why would Elizabeth go before is accepted socially? I think this is why. Because Elizabeth understood that she had to prepare herself for what God had prepared for her. See that amen right there? Let me say it again. She had to prepare herself for what God had prepared for her. Think about this. Here we have Elizabeth. She's an old woman. She's far beyond the childbearing age. And now she finds herself not just going to become a mother. That's tough in and of itself. But now she has to reject her maternal instinct as an older woman, which would be not to be a mother, but to be a grandmother. 
So she is actually having to reject the natural season and accept the new supernatural season that this old woman is about to be a mother and I cannot parent this child as a season of the old and the gone and the things of the flesh, but I've got to parent this child with a fresh mentality that I'm a mother. I don't care about my age. It's a mentality. I'm a mama. I'm not a grandmama. I'm going to have to nurture this son. I'm going to have to have strength in my body. I've got to have wisdom in my mind. And I believe she began to step away to prepare for her new season. That this new season was going to take a new mentality. It was going to take a new mindset. It was going to take a new focus. And so here's what she did. She says no to the world, to those that could influence. Because think about this. Here's what you have to know. Some of you have lost relationships and, and it's hurt you in a deep way, not recognizing that the loss of that relationship is preparation for your miracle season. God's got to peel away some people that would influence your mindset. However, they've never gone where God's taken you. So you've got to step away and say, God, would you download your path, your presence, your purpose? See, we hadn't seen anybody have children in old age like this. So she has to step away and say, God, this is your miracle. Prepare my heart, prepare my soul, prepare my mind for this season that nobody's ever seen before. So it's preparation. It's preparation. I experienced this, you know, multiple times in my life, but I was thinking, I write about it in my book, uh, Faithful in the Field. I went on staff in the ministry in 2005. Uh, it was pretty amazing to see how God did it. I was out in Peru on the Amazon jungle. We were on a mission trip, and I was between seasons in my life, and a lady said, I want you to come and interview for this position. Well, she was our leader on the trip, and I had preached and all the kids, and so she had seen me and experienced the anointing on my life. She says, come and interview. So I'm like, cool, let's do it. I interview. They give me the job. I end up in East Texas, in Tyler, Texas, Lindale, and uh, I'm there. I'm excited. Now, on the inside of me, God has birthed this desire to speak and communicate the gospel and preach the gospel. I felt it way back then. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm in the Amazon River and God has found me and plucked me up. And my miracle, supernaturally, I'm on this ministry and I'm going to preach the gospel. And lo and behold, I get there and a session comes up. Well, I was the one that organized them, so I put my name in there to speak. Well, of course, because didn't she know? So I write my name down. And you know what my boss told me? She said, Jim, Jim, Jim. I didn't bring you here to speak. I brought you here to organize and administrate. That's my gift, I, gift of administration. I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? She said, oh, no, no, no. I want you to write the content and the sessions so that other people can speak what you wrote. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, doesn't, doesn't she know? And then I thought about this, the disappointment of a missed expectation. Now, nobody told me I was going to do it, but my expectation was, God, you put this inside of me. There's a miracle that's about to happen, and I'm so grateful I'm going to step into it. And disappointment begins to crush me. Now I'm like, God, well, clearly I need to go to a ministry that acknowledges your anointing because they have missed it, and that is their fault and Lord, we're just going to take all of this goodness somewhere else where they were appreciated. Come on, somebody. Is it just me? That was what I wanted to do. And God just sat me down and said, shut up, sit down. 
I'm preparing you. Prepare, and I'll never forget, I was, when that happened, that the pity party left, and this general rose up. I'm like, okay, okay. All right, so, so it's not what I thought. I thought that the miracle was, but you're preparing me, and here's what happened. I began to write those sessions, and I'd let people speak, and as you're listening, you're like, okay, because they didn't speak half as good as I knew I could, and I wrote it. I'm like, it's terrible, whatever. You know, you just, but then, lo and behold, here's what I did. In that season, John Maxwell has a, he had, it was VHS tapes, if you could believe that, communicating to change lives. I got seven or eight other staff members. Remember, I'm not communicating. And I thought, hey, would you guys want to get better at communication? We began to do a small group, and every week we would give presentations and speak and teach and do stories and write. And I'm telling you, look, I got no platform. There's nothing for me to do. But I just felt the Lord say, prepare, prepare, prepare. And here's the other thing. I felt him say this to my heart. If you never speak again, at least you're prepared. And the moment came when her boss stepped into her office and said, I want Jim to speak. She's like, oh, no, no, no. He said, no, I'm not asking you. Jim, you're going to speak. I'm leaving. I want you to take this session. I'm like, I got it. Why? I've been preparing for such a time as this. I got you. I got it. And I'm telling you, I went upstairs and I must have preached that message. I preached it like I was preaching to 10,000 people up in that office. 20, 30, 40 times, just over and over, stories and punchlines and illustrations. Mind you, he's not even going to be there. And there was only 50 people there. And so I walk into it and I'm like, God, you have prepared me. I'm going to give my best. Lo and behold, that man is sitting in the back. He said, it was a test. I wanted to see if you would prepare and how well you did. And here's what happened. That was the miracle when I passed the test of preparation that I became the spokesperson for the entire ministry of Global Expeditions, preaching all over the world. So here's what I'm telling you. It's not about us having a miracle inside of us. It's are we prepared to hold the miracle when God births it? Let me explain what that looks like for you. And that was a good story. So, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to impress upon you. Here's what I say. Somebody says, oh, God, I'm looking for the miracle of debt freedom. God, I'm asking you to answer my prayer. And right now, if you cancel all my debt, that'd be an absolute miracle. And the answer is you're right. But here's what I would ask you. Have you prepared yourself to experience the miracle of debt freedom. You say, well, what do you mean? Of course I have. Of course I prayed. I gave in the legacy offering. All those things. Yeah, yeah, I, I got it. Those are things on the outside, but here's what I know. A person who is debt-free thinks totally different than a person who is drowning in debt. Why would God cancel your debt when you don't have the ability to keep yourself debt-free? So we say, God, would you do it? And then here's the response. I'll get ready when... I'm different. No, 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 no. Preparation right now says don't spend more than you make. Create a budget. How do people who are debt-free think? What do they think about debt? What does God say about the blessing? And you begin to change the way you think. You begin to change the reality of who you are. And what are you doing? You are preparing for the miracle season that God is about to break forth in your life. Think about somebody in new business. Oh, God, I'm asking you for... The miracle of a brand new business. That's great. Here's what I would ask you. Are you prepared to walk in your miracle season? Because don't you know that a business owner thinks way different than an employee? So you want the business? Start acting like an owner. 
Start thinking like an owner. Stop trying to cheat your job and show up last minute. Why don't you get there when owners get there? Well, I'm not the owner. No, 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 I got it. But you're preparing your life so that you can handle the miracle of when you're an owner. And when we do that, what's amazing, the God of heaven performs miracles in our lives. And those miracles don't sabotage us. They point back to him. Oh, how did you do it? Man, I serve a great God. Oh, I serve a good, oh, how did, see, he, he canceled this debt. He canceled that debt. And, and we all have those stories, but I'm concerned we've sabotaged God's miracles because we didn't do the discipline of preparing. Are you prepared to walk in your miracle season? Let me ask you this. What kind of lifestyle changes do you need to make as you go into 2023? Are you planning to come to 21 days of prayer and fasting? Well, why would I do it? Because I'm preparing for the miracle God is bringing to my life. You see, it begins to change the dynamic of your life. You're no longer a victim. You're a victor. Am I saying God's going to do it right now? I have no idea when God's going to do it. God will do it when you're ready and he's ready. But I want to be found ready. Whatever I need, God, however it takes, whatever it looks like, God, I want to be prepared for what you want to do in my life. Father, we thank you for today. 